Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. We are now pretty much knee deep into the eschatology series, but before we get to the actual views, I want to take us through a very important topic. So we've covered death, we've covered heaven, and now we're going to cover hell. And so... To tackle this gigantic topic, I am joined by three individuals who run an amazing podcast, which you all better go listen to after this one, of course. <laughs> Always after this one. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. They are the Bible Dingers. Say hello, gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Hey. What's yeah. up? What's going on? Thank you for letting us on the show. Well, thanks for letting me on your show um, last month. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so uh, I guess for your listeners, my name is Ryan. Uh, I do kind of the research and the writing for the episodes of our show. And uh, I like to eat too much food. And I have a lovely wife and kids. And I like to watch The Office. Hmm. That's a fancy introduction you had ready for yourself. Yeah, he wrote that out, I think. Well, we we've in already a, done these introductions. Social media posts. Yeah, in posts yeah. before, so I just remembered my standard introduction. Yeah, that was <laughs> incredible. Well, I'm, he actually text he texted me this morning asking if it was okay to say that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Really? Read the script by him. Read the script. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Nick, and if you have ever heard our show, I say I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, which I am. And uh, I do the fake news, real news for our show, which you're going to get a little piece of on this show. Alex is Aww, snap. to do it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I also run the Instagram page. And uh, I don't know what else I do. Ding moments. We do ding, ding moments. moments. Yeah, I do the ding moments. Yeah. Most importantly, I have fun. So mm. Mark does most of the work, though. That's not true. But <laughs> my, yeah, my name's Mark. 
I'm the tech guy. I record the episodes. I edit them. Um, I edit the videos, the Ding Moment devotionals. Um, I make some graphics for us. I help do the logo, all that stuff, motion graphics. So, yeah. He does it all. Yep. He does most and of it. You guys, are, you guys got your hands full, and I'm over here trying to run this whole monster by myself. So I, I hand it to you for being able to split it. Cause I, I started this whole process like a couple of weeks ago. I thought it would be a great idea for myself to maybe start making my own content. So I started to uh, source my own pictures and I scoured for a, a kind of a, like a style that I think would be really neat. And I came across these like black and white, like ink, and pattern drawing yeah, of the theologians. It. Yeah. And so I started using those because they're just out on the internet for free. And so I get them and then I grab um, my, you know, I grab a, a quote for them and then I put them through, you know, an editor and I change stuff. And, you know, and so it's been, it's an, it's a time consuming process to do five of them. I mean, it takes me an hour, maybe more depending on, you know, what I, what's in my brain that day. It's, it, it's a, it's a process. So, and on top of that, you've been doing the book of Romans commentary. Oh yeah. Yeah. That too. So, Oh my goodness. I was actually queuing up before we started recording this episode. I was going to, I'm as we recorded, I'm starting Romans seven, which you guys owe me still, by the way. Um, <laughs> I owe you. Do we? I owe yeah. you. Oh yeah. Cause well, Ryan and Mark have a different view. But oh, I agreed. No. I agreed to uh, to write for him, which I don't know. We'll see tomorrow. If oh, I did have you? Time. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, I never heard yeah, about this. So what I've what I've done with that is I take. I've had a couple people uh, want to write their views and their commentary, and so I just kind of paired alongside mine, just for you know to see the similarities, and then maybe the little bit of compare and contrast in the view. Uh, so we had. I had somebody do Romans three with me and then you guys will do seven and I got a couple people geared up at the end of Romans. So, uh, and that whole process, uh, can take me quite a few hours a day actually, um, to get done. So it's, that's a monster. I'm sure. So, but it's been a blessing cause I think I've learned a lot just doing the, the first six chapters thus far. It's quite, um, a task. So, uh, Let's kick this show off because we've got a ton of content and there's really no time to just sit. It's only and, 11 and pages. What are you talking about? Only 11 pages. Um, you guys you guys must have heard the record of notes brought to brought on my show from uh, Z. She brought eight pages when we were talking about God's judgment in the attributes series. And you guys are like, we're going to I'm going to we're going to do better. But it took three of you. But it took three of you to 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 do eleven pages. So that well, is true. N- not quite. Not... Ryan did. <laughs> Ryan did it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're kind of like three in one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like three the in one. Yeah. shout out Trinity. Yeah, shout out yeah. to the Trinity, the Godhead. <laughs> the Godhead. There you go. <laughs> if you're listening, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hashtag almost like the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we were hoping. Since you so graciously allowed us to be on your show, we could bring a little bit of our show to your show, and we could do some fake news or real news on here. Yeah, let's do it. Fire away. 
Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. Hey, hey. If you guys have listened to Bible Dingers before, you know how we start the show. But if you haven't, we start the show with fake news or real news where I come up with a headline. And Ryan and Mark, and here we have Alex, have to guess if it's fake or real. You ready for this? Bring it. Let's do it. No. All right. No. Woman pregnant for 17 months. Finally has the baby at eight pounds. Is this fake news or real news? Hold on. First of all, is this like a turtle woman or something? <laughs> because, elephant. Because then, yes, that's real news. Is the woman an elephant? <laughs> wow. Fake news I'm or real news, Alex? I'm going to say it's real news. Okay. What do you guys say? There's no way. I'm saying that's fake news. Okay. I have to agree. It's probably fake. All right. Well, no, I think it's fake. Okay. I'm really upset because I should have saved this one for our show because I just stumped you. Really? It is real news. Give me a clap because Alex Ooh. got it right. So that means I'm 2-0 and now because you I got are it right the last time. He did, didn't he? You are 2-0. and I mean, the last one was a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, this one's <laughs> probably easier to guess because it's so out there. Uh, a woman it from could only be. Yeah, right. Check this out. A woman from China Central Hunan Province recently set a Guinness World Record with her 17 month long and counting pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Local media us. reported. You okay, man? You all right there, buddy? Choking on some root beer. <laughs> some good stuff there. You're drinking some root beer. Yeah. So the woman named Wang Shi. Became pregnant last February. This is in 2016. And uh, her due date was November 15th, but the date came and went with Wang's baby showing no intention of entering the world. Worried, Wang went to the hospital every seven to ten days after her due date passed for checkups. Doctors ruled out a cesarean in the 14th month of pregnancy because the fetus was still in stage two, not mature enough for the operation. Wow. So this is crazy. But if you, uh, if you look it up, there's doctors that deny it ever happened. You all right there, bud? No. What is going on with you? Sorry. That wasn't that good of a fake news or real news. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm ruining our episode. <laughs> no, he just Alex, choked. the whole episode's ruined right now. Just totally trashed. So the woman, her fetus was just uh, growing at a really slow rate. Yeah, but the baby was fine and healthy. But if you Google this, I mean... She set a Guinness World Record, but there's some doctors that denied it ever happened. This is in China, so we're just taking her word her word for it. But it's still, I didn't say that it was legitimate and true news. I just said it was a true headline. So just to be clear here, if it is true, it's very interesting. Um, I thought it was cool. It's a license to lie. And I definitely brought the stump. I agree. What is that? You just give yourself a license to lie. No, I didn't. I said the, <laughs> the headline is real. And it's a real headline. Okay, Everyone, you can pull the right, headline right, from like right. a Spider-Man comic book all or right. something like that. This episode's over. I'm out of here. All right. See you later. <laughs> all right. Bye. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is basically a, a, a snippet of what you'll get. <laughs> coffee, coffee excluded. Uh, and when you listen to these guys, they love to have fun. But at the same time. They know how to get into some topics. And when I said 11 pages of notes, I'm not kidding. 
These guys did their homework. I invited them on the show, I don't know what, like two months ago. Like back when we were talking on for your episode, I'd mentioned I'm doing the series and you guys wanted in on it. And so when I did that outline, I presented it to you and you guys wanted this topic. And so here it is. And it feels like just yesterday we recorded Ezekiel. Right. And, and I completely botched that episode. But well, you what? You did really well. It, it, no. I was terrible, guys. I was awful. What in the world are you talking about? Don't yeah. worry. We're bringing the paybacks because we're going to be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to bomb my episode. <laughs> I, was, I was on the fly like trying to like get smart. Because you guys were just taking me to school. Yeah, so. we heard your Bible pages moving. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I do recall that, yeah. I was scouring quickly, and I've got my logos open on my screen. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I got to get smart here really quick, because these guys are going to take me to school. Well, let, let me tell you one thing. For someone who winged it, you did really well. You did incredible. You did really uh, I, I do. I do have to make an admittance. Um and and I I don't know if I've told you this before, but I usually don't use notes on my shows. Um, I've never used notes until I started this series, mm. and uh, and only because the topics are so deep that I have to keep a pace moving. Otherwise, I'm going to go down every rabbit hole in my mind. And 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 this is this series is is just mind boggling. And, uh, and I still, I haven't even gotten yet into recording yet. Uh, Thursday's my recording day. So it's Tuesday night. Thursday's my recording day for, uh, the, the four views. And, and then I, on top of that, I have to be a guest on another podcast Thursday afternoon. Uh, a local guy wants to interview me. So I, I guess I'm just a little popular or in demand or. Well, you definitely uh, have your hands full. You're the man, yeah. dude. Don't, don't, don't say I'm popular cause I'm not. But well, you I said got my hands full. Yeah, I do. <laughs> can, I re- can I retract that statement? I- I'd like to take back my time and retract that yeah, statement, right. please. <laughs> take back uh, your time. Take back my time. So we talked. Uh, we talked about covering hell, and you guys came through with some some really awesome notes. But really, you know, the the premise and the reason why I wanted this topic is is to uh before we get into the end of the times like the actual meat like this is uh I, I i'm trying to think of like what you would eat before you get to the steak meal like the the platter like because this is it mm. we're past the salad we're past all that you know precursor. this is the antipast this is the cheese yeah. biscuits. This is the cheese. This is the red lobster cheese biscuits. This is the, the this lobster. is the soup and bread sticks from Olive Garden. That's it. Yeah. Oh no! Don't do that. My wife loves <laughs> Olive Garden. I don't like it. So I like the soup and bread sticks. <laughs> they got some. They got some some good bread sticks. I'll give them that. I'll eat their bread sticks. Throw a little of that Alfredo sauce on it. And that's it's legit. There you go. Mm. Um. So this is the bread stick before you get to your pasta. This is such an important piece to understand because understanding death heaven and hell uh, set us up for what the end of times will look like now we're going to get into all the four views in separate episodes and we're going to get into what the bible teaches about the end times we're going to go through old testament new testament the pauline epistles and revelation so we have 
a lot of material yet to cover, but these three elements, these three topics involve so much that they deserve their own episode. And so gentlemen, you know, you guys have done a lot to present it. So I'm going to let the listeners hear it from you and I'm going to let you take it away. And then I'm just going to kind of throw my two cents in and, and we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. So, sure. So take uh, it. I'm really happy to be doing this topic because it's definitely a hot topic. No Bro. pun intended. Oh, Come on. Uh, it's going to be a long episode. It's a hot topic. No, no. Lame puns already. Yeah. <laughs> Sentence one. Yeah, right? Sentence one. So it's, it's important to know, you know about hell because a lot of people in our world, in all reality, I mean, it's sad to say, but they're going to go there. So it's definitely a topic that's worth studying. And uh, the interesting thing is that Jesus spoke about hell more than he did heaven. So the, the Bible has a lot, well, Jesus has a lot to say about um, hell, but many of us know so little about it. And a lot of us have this weird picture that we get from the movies, right? That hell is a place where someone's standing there with a flaming furnace and, you know, a pitchfork and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movies really ruined what hell is taught in the Bible. So we need to bring clarity on that. And uh, the first thing first, we have to approach our Bibles. And the Bible uses, primarily uses the word Gehenna. That word is used 12 times in the New Testament. And there are other words to describe the place of punishment, such as fire, destruction, darkness, and weeping. So the Bible has those ways of describing this, uh, this place of torment. Um, But there are generally three views on hell, and two are significantly more popular than the other. So we're going to go through them from most popular to least popular. So the first is, we're going to be referring to it uh, throughout, just for time's sake, ECT, that is eternal conscious torment. The second is annihilationism, or as the people who hold to it call it, conditional immortality. And then we have universalism. So all of these three views uh, hold to a similar belief that hell exists. They cannot deny that reality because the Bible clearly talks about it. But what they all try to do is reconcile what hell is like. Because the Bible is a little less clear on the nature of hell than it is on the existence of hell. Yeah, so the Bible clearly teaches that hell is a real place. So even universalists would say that it's a real place. But like Nick said, these three views are all just different views of the nature of hell. How hell works, what it is, how long it lasts, things like that. Um, But before we actually dive into the specifics of each view we kind of thought that it was important to note that most people who have researched and released studies on the subject don't believe that hell is literally a place of literal fire where people are literally burned. So some people may may believe that, but in all honesty, the, the majority of the scholars don't believe it's literal fire with literal burning. Uh, it's generally agreed that this was just figurative language used in the Bible, 
in order to describe deep distress and anguish. So no matter what camp you're in, whether it's eternal conscious torment all the way to universalism, it's not, people don't generally believe that it's actual physical flames. And and there's a couple of reasons why. It seems kind of counterintuitive that hell would be a place of eternal all-consuming fire and also a place of utter darkness. That kind of seems like oxymoronic in a sense. Uh, so, like a question that you can ask yourself is, are the worms that the Bible refers to that are in hell, are they fireproof? Are they are they able to withstand the fire and continually eat you as well? So by conservative and liberal scholars alike, most people don't believe in a literal flaming place for souls, but in a place of either agony or separation from God, which in itself is agonizing. I'd like to pause and intercede if I can. Go ahead. Go for it. So I, I, I want to kind of just clarify a few things. Um, because you both have, I think you both have nailed it in separate instances. When we view hell, the modern Christian environment and the modern secular environment have completely construed and distorted and warped the, our views of hell. It's not this, like you said, it's not a place of, you know, underground caverns with fire pits of lava and Satan's walking around with a pitchfork and a, you know, some horns and, you know, just many people i mean yeah the bible is pretty clear on on the descriptions though it doesn't give us like a definitive place the most clear picture we've seen is just the utter darkness yeah and and separation from god i mean i don't know what else could be worse i mean even here in our current life we don't have separation from god even those who are not regenerated aren't separated from God. So they are still held together by some string of mercy and grace from God. So complete separation and complete agony is terrifying. Right. Absolutely. More, more so than a pit of fire. Absolutely. Mm hundred percent. Yeah. All right. I'll let you continue. Yeah. So Nick had mentioned the term Gehenna that's used in the new Testament uh, in order to describe hell, that's the word used for hell in the Bible. And a lot of people kind of surface level, with with a surface level understanding, I suppose, of hell, they they mistakenly believe that Gehenna, which is the word that the Bible uses for hell, is derived from a literal physical place outside of Jerusalem where trash was burned. And that's where the imagery comes from. But Ge- Gehenna was a literal physical place. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not true. But it wasn't a place where trash was burned. It was, but not in Bible times when it was written. Um, <clears throat> a place where trash is burned is something that people here in New Jersey and New York call Staten Island. That's not true. <laughs> that's where I'm from, buddy. Okay, so watch yourself. <laughs> I wasn't born in... It all makes sense now. No. Oh. Oh, no. Dude, that burned. Oh, man. Another pun. (laughs) Anyways, I had to throw that in there. Of course you did. Um, We love people from Staten Island. We just don't want to be around them. Well, you're around me, okay? (laughs) 
but just to clarify, Gehenna was a place outside of Jerusalem, but in when these books were written, it was a place where people sacrificed children in fire to worship the god Molech. So the Jewish people adopted the practice from their pagan neighbors before the exile, um, which you can read about in First and Second Kings and some of the prophet books. Hey, didn't you guys do some episodes on those? Yeah, we did. Oh, Definitely. Go ahead, and, go ahead and drop those in there. I don't care. Yes, so we have done episodes on the entire Bible. Well, the entire Old Testament well, not, will, not be, quite. Yeah. will be done in four weeks from now. So <clears throat> you can read about a lot of this in the historical books and the prophet books of the Old Testament. Definitely. And we talk about the exile a lot. We do. Mm-hmm. It comes up a lot in the Old Testament. Definitely. Anyways, um, so yeah, so sacrificing children to Molech was this pagan ritual that the Jewish people had adopted before exile. And consequently, Jeremiah used to prophesy that the same people who were sacrificing their kids in Gehenna would experience God's wrath and that bodies would pile up there in Gehenna. So he prophesied that it would be called, called the Valley of Slaughter. And that is actually where the imagery of Gehenna that the New Testament writers used comes from. <clears throat> so that's, that's where we get the, the historical context of the word used in the New Testament, Gehenna, for hell. Also, before we jump into the views, I just wanted to make a quick note on presuppositions before we jump into the supports for all of these. I think that it's important to keep in mind that defending the the view that you've traditionally held doesn't necessarily mean you're defending God and his words. Doctrine and the way we interpret scriptures are indeed debatable. That doesn't mean we're attacking God. Rather, it means that we're questioning our traditional beliefs and presuppositions. In fact, I think that if we staunchly defend our traditional beliefs without being willing to examine them against the scriptures, then we're holding our tradition in higher esteem than the scriptures. And obviously it should go without saying that this was exactly the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. So I just want you to keep that in mind when we're going through the three views of hell. Obviously, the first one is the most popular by far, and there is super solid evidence for the first view that we're going to talk about. Um, but I don't think that you guys should just quickly shut off the shut other off views. Shut off the episode yeah, just because, being informed. Yeah. Just yeah. because you've always held to the first view. Yeah, yeah. Always, always be open to listening, always. And to learning, you know, because if you Absolutely. get somebody that's super knowledgeable about the other topic, they can run miles around you and you have no way of defending mm-hmm. your your what you believe is the most biblical belief for sure so if you believe it's exactly. the most biblical you should be able to defend it against someone who is knowledgeable in these other topics so uh the first one is ect which is eternal conscious torment what is it eternal conscious torment is probably the most popular belief that we hold as orthodox christians and is is the belief that unrepentant people who've not accepted Christ's atonement for their sins will be sent to a place of eternal conscious torment. So it's pretty self-explanatory. 
what it's called it is basically what they believe. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is eternal. Who we thought it is. Eternal meaning lasting forever. Conscious, you're completely aware, and it is torment. Mm. So we got these supports from a book called uh, what the. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so when I was researching for this episode, my main, my primary resource was a book called The Four Views on yeah. Hell. Um, it's it's called The Four Views on Hell. I redacted the fourth view because it's actually the book is kind of strange. And the fourth view that it gives is a view of purgatory, which is uh, much more. <clears throat> it's much more, I suppose. It doesn't really have anything to do with hell. It has a lot more to do with a view of heaven and a way to get into heaven. Mm. And so these three, these three, ECT, annihilationism, and um, universalism are much more views about hell than the fourth one. But you guys should definitely go and read it. This is kind of just preliminary information and some of the best information I got from the book. It's edited by Preston Sprinkle. Um which sounds delicious, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he sprinkles like truth cream. all over this thing, yeah. man. <laughs> this book was sprinkled with wisdom, so yeah. check it out. But it, it is safe to say that we are uh, supporting, uh, we are presenting the evidence that that was evident in the book. But it doesn't end here. Do your own research and yeah, research yeah, these topics on your own, because uh, I've ran into some really good sermons from, like, even John MacArthur, some of everyone's favorite preachers. They have topics. I mean, they have uh, sermons on these. But mm-hmm. let's let's dive in here. So, where's the biblical support for ECT? People who support the ECT view of hell would say that there are ten main passages that were mentioned in this book that talk about hell, and that each of those passages have three commonalities in the description of it. So, what are those three commonalities? Final separation. They will never be able to experience God again. Unending experience. The punishment is eternal. And just retrib- excuse me, just retribution. It is because of their unrepentant state that they are experiencing this torment. So the idea here is that each of these ten portions described uh, describing hell describe it as a final a uh, place of si- a final separation from God, which is an unending experience. And a just retribution for their unrepentant soul. So we're going to go through some of these scriptures that people that hold to this view would typically use. First, we have Isaiah 66, 22 through 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Did I say that right? right? It's abhorrence. 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 Yeah. My bad. Abhorrence to all flesh. I knew I said it wrong, but I had to keep going. Can't be any worse than my Ezekiel stumble. I don't remember I don't that. I remember one. it either. The, 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 the king. Trust yeah, me. I, I remember. Oh, Jehovah or something like that? I don't remember. Jehoiachin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I remember. So, with this particular verse, we're going to uh, find out where these verses talk about final separation, unending experience, and just retribution. 
the first part of Isaiah 66 says new heavens and new earth. And in the new heavens and new earth, we know based on the Bible that there will be no wickedness at all. So if there's no wickedness on the new heavens and new earth, that means this final separation from God. Secondly, in uh, verse, what is this, 22, it says, So shall your offspring and your name remain. So if they're remaining there, that means it's an unending experience. And then in verse 24, it says, Rebelled against me. That's at the end, well, in the middle of verse 24. So that means if they rebelled against God, they, uh, they're experiencing just retribution. Uh, secondly, we have Daniel twelve two and 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Contempt here is communicating final separation. Um, and going into verse 3, it says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So the just retribution here uh, is an ins- uh, assumed antithetical parallelism with verse 3. So basically, the unbeliever will not shine like the stars. Uh, we've talked about where the Bible gives antithetical parallelism in other places. It's basically where the Bible, uh, where you're reading it, and it doesn't quite give uh, what you're assuming, but it's giving the opposite. So you could safely come to the conclusion of the opposite. So if it's saying here that the stars will shine forever and ever, and that's for the people who believe in God, that means the unbeliever, even though the verse doesn't quite say that literally, but we can jump to the conclusion that the unbeliever will not shine like the stars. Okay? Then we have, um, then next up, we have Matthew 18, 6 through 9. And for time's sake, we're just going to talk about the wording and how they communicate the three uh, things that we said they were going to communicate. So in uh, Matthew 18, 6 through 9, in verse 7, it uses the word woe, and Jesus used woe to warn sinners against coming judgment. So this was just retribution uh, being communicated here. And then at the end of verse 8, it says eternal fire, which is obvious. It's a fire that will be forever. And then uh, in verse 9, it says thrown into the hell of fire, which means what? They are sent away from God. So this definitely uh, communicates final separation. Then we have Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46. It's a large chunk of scripture. So uh, again, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46, you can read it on your own. But uh, verse 41 uh, says, depart from me, you cursed. So that is, again, God's not bringing you back. He's, he's sending you away. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. So again, eternal, meaning lasting forever. And then in verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So eternal indicates an unending experience, and punishment communicates just retribution. Uh, now we have Mark nine forty-two through 48, which is basically the same scripture we just read, simply reworded in Mark. Uh, okay, we're going a little bit faster here, uh, and now we are at Second Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10. Um, and in verse 6, it says, <laughs> Since indeed God consider, considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. 
So in other words, it's just, right? It says it, just retribution. Then in verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of what? Eternal destruction, unending experience, away from the presence of the Lord, which is what? Final separation. I hope you see the theme here. These three things are being well communicated all throughout these verses. Ten verses that we are sharing with you. Keep your Bibles open. Highlight them. Make some notes. I know it's a lot, but we are trying to cover it as fast as we can. But uh, this is some deep stuff here. They're communicating unending experience, just retribution, and final separation from God. Um, We are also at... uh, I lost my place here. Jude 7. Hey, Jude. Oh, that's the end of that verse. Seven. I like that song. (laughs) Okay, so now we are at Jude 7, right? Uh, Jude 7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued on natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, final separation. They're not coming back. <laughs> Once they were separated, they were done. And then punishment, obviously, is just, and eternal fire is being communicated again. Then we have Jude 13 that says that it is their own shame, which is what? Just retribution. Wandering stars. Wandering stars indicates what? Final separation. They're wondering where they're going. They, they can't go where they want to go. Um, and then we have of utter darkness has been reserved forever. That word right there, forever, indicates unending experience. We're cutting it really close to uh, people's favorite verses going into the book of Revelation. These are my favorite. These are your favorite? These are my favorite. In the entire Bible, regarding any subject. There you go. (laughs) My favorite book of the Bible. Who says that? Revelation, right? Yeah. Um, Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Let's read them. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. We know that God is just. It is just retribution. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented final separation with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up guess what guys forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name and then we are ending this 10 verse uh declaration of ect in revelation 20 um verses 10 And 14 and 15, this is the line in the sand for me. This is the gavel. Can I I throw an intercedent in there? Go for it, buddy. So this will be a a heavily debated verse um, when when I get into Revelation. And if you guys really want, you can join me for the episode that will cover this topic. This is the dispensationalist uh, dessert. (laughs) For their steak. For their steak. So before they had the antipast, now they're having yeah. the dessert. Now they're go- they skipped all the way to the ice cream. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it's it's like everything out there uh, has to become the mark, right? The COVID 
vaccine, that's the mark. Uh, the microchip is the mark. Yeah. You know, it's not. So we'll just leave it at that. Teaser. Moving on. All teaser. right, here's a teaser. But <laughs> Revelation 20 definitely supports ECT, regardless of how uh, you uh, interpret the, the previous verse. This one says in verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then, then... Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, tormented day and night forever and ever, obviously communicates unending experience. Not found written in the book of life? Well, guess what? You deserve that. Just retribution. And he was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone that is not a believer in Christ, we know, will be thrown into the lake of fire. So that is final separation from God. Uh, this final verse is definitely the one that screams ETT for, uh, to me the most. Uh, but we do have um, some extra biblical support, I guess you can call it, right? Uh, <clears throat> I think that's those are the biblical arguments and support for ECT. But you can also there's also some philosophical support that you can go through. Yeah, some philosophical. So in four views on hell. There's a story used in order to explain how and why eternal conscious torment is the answer to the hell question. And we're going to pretty much paraphrase that entire story. So imagine you're walking through the park and you see a man tearing the legs off of a grasshopper. You would think it's weird, but you would probably wouldn't do anything about it. You would just keep walking and go about your day. But what if it was a frog? It might be a little bit more disturbing, but you still won't do anything significant besides think about how much of a freak that guy is. <laughs> so, what if it was a bird? Is this where you draw the line and tell the guy to take a hike? What if you walk by and he was pulling the legs off of a puppy? Oh, man. Now I'm going to get Oof. really upset. Well, then you would definitely say something and probably call the cops. But what if that guy was holding a baby? And tearing the limbs off of it. Something we see in our society anyway. But we mm. won't go there. Well, then you would probably throw yourself at the man in order to save the baby. You would take the most extreme cause, uh, You would take the most extreme course of action. So what's the difference in each of these scenarios? Well, the action is exactly the same. But the one who's being acted upon is different. Those who support ECT would say the same thing. Many people who don't support this belief say that it isn't right or it doesn't make sense to punish people eternally for sins they committed temporarily here on earth. Um, but ECT supporters would say that you have a diminished view of both God and of sin. And the main point here is that because we've sinned against an eternal God, we deserve eternal punishment. And here's the final and an additional note to make um, is that a lot of ECT supporters would say that God uses eternal punishment in hell for his glory. His love brings him glory when he saves us from our sins and his justice brings him glory when he punishes people for their sins. If God let people off the hook for their sins, we would say he is unjust in the same way we would say that a judge is unjust for letting a serial killer off the hook with no prison time. Hmm. 
So that is ECT in a nutshell. Feel free to do more research on your own. But we do have some common objections. And there are several objections that have been asserted towards the points made in the ECT portion. First is that the idea that sinning against an eternal God deserves eternal punishment. And that doesn't really appear in the Bible. That is simply a point made by ECT proponents in order to try to make sense of the position. Does the logic follow that sin against an infinite God require infinite punishment? Maybe, but you won't find that in Scripture word for word, and I wouldn't say the premise is necessarily cohesive. Yeah, so that's I wanted to point out that that's my personal note. This is Ryan. Um, <clears throat> I get the premise, but like Nick mentioned, it's not explicit in the Bible. It's just kind of, it is a philosophical support for eternal conscious torment. And uh, like like Nick said, I I think that it might be cohesive, but it might also not be cohesive. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it depends on your view, I suppose. Right. But we are just simply communicating some of the objections, and we are not trying to answer to them. We're just um, giving you the information of what the common objections are. So we even on our show, we don't typically pick a side. I know Alex picks a side more than we do. We kind of just, <coughs> excuse me, we kind of just present the facts and we go on and give you the information and we leave it up to you to do your homework because we want you to. We want you to read your word and we want you to uh, verify what you're hearing through the podcast with your own personal research. Yeah, and Alex doesn't want you to do that. No, I want you to pick a side. There you go. <laughs> and, if and if you're not on my side, then just stop then listening. you can stop listening. Unless you're a Patreon, of course, then you can continue Unless listening. You're a Patreon, then by all means, keep listening. I love you. Which, by the way, you can get for a low, low price of one dollar a month. There you go. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! That was man. I could I could commercial stuff all day long on this show. Good drop. That was a good drop, bro. Yeah, and uh, and the second point is, if you go on Patreon, you could also support Bible Dingers for as low as $1 a month as well. <laughs> yeah, but I give more stuff. Oh! oh that is true. That is true. That's He's definitely say. true, but I'll give you one thing. He does offer you more stuff, but you will not laugh half as much as you laugh uh, with us. I don't know. I have a private IG page, uh, or private IG account chat group for just patrons, and it's... It's like a party nonstop. Like, if you're into techno music, <laughs> yeah. And, but the like, thing is, we won't. We, we don't we wait are. till you give us money to make you laugh. We do that all uh, for free. I just give facts before I make you laugh. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I love what you do. Yeah, I you love guys all are the fantastic. And, and honestly, I am a patron of you guys. You are. So, true. just just to show that my love and appreciation for you, I am a tiered patron of you guys. I don't give just the dollar. I want your guys' show to succeed and I want your guys' work to be known to the world. And so therefore I contribute. It's not a ton, but I do what I can. And I, and I, you know, brought you guys on here because of the work you guys do, which is obviously as we're already 47 minutes in and we're barely even, not even a quarter of the way through you guys are killing it and this content is exactly what i wanted to bring into this series so thank you awesome we're we're uh, pretty much done with this but we're just going to get through uh the rest of the objections what do you got to say bro go ahead i just wanted to thank alex for being like our podcast dad 
grandfather. He's like dad. You're young. He's like our podcast godfather, or maybe shall I say, our podfather. Ooh, (laughs) podfather, bro. Put cotton in your mouth right now. (laughs) Go get that cotton because you're our new podfather. What? That's how uh, that's how the actor had that look. He stuffed cotton. Oh, in is that his, what it cheeks. is? Yeah, oh. that is such an obscure reference. No, bro. <laughs> anybody that watches that series would know he had cotton in his mouth the entire time. <laughs> I had no idea. Alex, give me your best Godfather impression. I can't. I'm no. <laughs> I really can't. That's it. He's drawing. The Come line. on. I'm done. I, I'm. I got nothing. All I'm not right. a good impersonator. I'm oh. really not. All right, so let's let's move on with these objections. But I can't I can't promise you one thing really quick, that we will hashtag the show as hashtag Podfather. hundred <laughs> percent. I I I did a show with a couple patrons, and we were talking about the condition of the church, and then at the end of it, we started talking about eschatology because I was talking a little bit about this upcoming series, and I made a joke about the rapture, and I said, um, the new the new style of the view on, on the millennium is called woke millennium. And it's where you get raptured and then God sends you back during the tribulation. And then he raptures you again at the end. So you get raptured twice. That's dope. And so we hashtag that show hashtag woke mill woke mill woke mill. So this one's going to be hashtag Podfather. sick. Beautiful. You guys get your own hashtag. Yeah. I feel special. That's awesome. I hope it goes viral. Yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> All right, let's dive into the objections here. So we have three of them. Um, keep in mind, these are not our objections. These are just the common objections that people might hold to if they don't approve this view. Many objectors do not agree with the premise that God exists primarily to bring himself glory. The majority of ECT supporters would say that both heaven and hell exist primarily so that God can glorify himself, like we discussed before. But an example here is if God is primarily out for his glory... Why would John 3.16 say that for God so loved the world, he gave? An objection is that this verse doesn't say for God so desired glory, he gave. That would argue that his purpose is love. Again, I know some of you guys listening have an answer to this verse. Um, I know some of you are super smart, but we're just communicating the objections here. Some of you. And uh, we are not saying we agree with them. We're just giving you the information. Um, The third objection is ECT rejectors who are also, typically, Calvinism rejectors would say that God, that the God that Calvinism and ECT proposes is a self-absorbed God who finds pleasure in the eternal torment of people. But we know that this seems to be misaligned with, a, uh, with an un- omnibenevolent God. Um, then we have the final Objection, and that is many of the scriptures that ECT supporters use in order to support an eternal torment seem to misinterpret the eternal fire with an eternal soul. People who disagree with ECT would say that in every verse that was used to support ECT, the eternal attribute is always des- describing the fire and not the soul. It is not used to describe the person being punished. So basically, people die throughout history and are thrown in an eternal fire that goes on forever. And to add some interesting support to this last piece, uh, I talked a little bit about the differences of soul, body, uh, and spirit on the episode of death. So uh, I'm 
this will probably be a topic that comes up continuously in this series because it it's something that doesn't have a lot of uh, it, it can go in in a couple of different directions so stay tuned as we continue to unpack all this because even these you know uh objections you know you may find that you might say well that one now makes more sense to me as we unpack other scriptures and we start to look at things as in a, in the meta narrative of scripture versus looking at you know a handful of scripture so right that's why going through all three of these is extremely important not not to just hone in on your you know presupposition and saying oh i don't care about anything else i just want this this little nugget and i'm and i'm out listen to all of them and 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 research all of them because you might learn something and you may say well, i guess i don't believe that actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so carry on <clears throat> yeah and i think uh just to add to that alex i think that's really a sign of humility in somebody if, if they're willing to examine their beliefs and then come to the conclusion that they've been wrong forever <laughs> I think Ever. that's really a sign of humility in a person to be able to accept. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, so with that in mind, I think we can go ahead and jump into the second view of hell that we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to take that one, and that is annihilationism. Or a lot of people who are annihilationists prefer to be for this view to be called conditional immortality. So... The definition of annihilationism is that it's the belief that only those who've put their trust in Christ will receive immortality after death, while those who did not will ultimately be annihilated, which basically means that they'll be completely wiped out of existence altogether. So just like Nick, I'm also going to give some biblical and philosophical um, support for this view. And before I jump into the biblical support, I wanted to say that annihilationists say that every verse that describes the destination for those not in Christ as, quote, destruction or, quote, death, proves that the ultimate consequence of unatoned sin is ultimate death, which is the cessation of existence. And it's most certainly not supposed to be understood as a continuation of living torment eternally. So they would say that the large majority of scriptures that talk about the ultimate destination of the wicked is a sort of wiping out. And you'll see that in a lot of the verses that I'm going to give here. So the first one is Matthew seven thirteen, and a lot of these these aren't quite as long as Nick's, so I should be able to rattle them off for you real quick. Uh, the first one is Matthew seven thirteen. This says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many." So destruction here being the ultimate wiping out. The next is Philippians three nineteen. It says, "Their end is destruction." Their God is their belly and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The next one, uh, this is a big one and a very common verse that I'm sure you all know, is Romans 6.23. And this one says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a lot of annihilationists think that that verse is kind of a slam dunk there. 
It says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Kind of using that uh, phrase that Nick used in his ECT portion, this is something called antithetical parallelism. Basically, the first part is the opposite of the second part. So they're saying the free gift of God is eternal life. And so consequently, the first part, the wages of sin being death, is the opposite of that. So not eternal life. You do not get eternal life if you die without Christ. The next one is Psalm chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The next one, Proverbs 1, 18 through 19. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Next, Psalm 37, 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And the last oh, sorry, no, it's not the last one. Psalm 37, 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Next one, Obadiah 16. And that's just verse 16 because Obadiah only has one chapter. It says, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. So talking about total annihilation there, they, as though they had never been. Second Peter 2.6 says, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So an, a lot of annihilationists say that that's another one of the slam dunk verses where he compares the ungodly to Sodom and Gomorrah, which he condemned to extinction. And he says that this is, make, this is an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly that they will basically become extinct. And honestly, besides these, there's dozens of other passages in, in which the Bible speaks of the destiny of the lost as either termination, end, disappearance, eradication, annihilation, or vanishing. Um, so this, is, this was, what, maybe 10 verses? Um, but the people who support annihilationism would claim that there's like 50 verses that talk about the destination of the wicked being termination or annihilation. So that is really the biblical support. And, and uh, I guess I should mention when it comes to biblical support, if you actually want to read the dozens and dozens of verses that they would say point to annihilationism, uh, the guy you want to read is a guy named Edward Fudge. So, Fancy that a guy named Edward Fudge and Preston Sprinkle came together to make a <laughs> we're all about desserts <laughs> to make a tasty <laughs> a tasty little book on hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Edward Fudge is really the big guy for annihilationism. He has lots of books about it, uh, including a book that just lays out all the verses that he says support annihilationism. So that is the biblical support. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the philosophical support, unless, Alex, you want to stop me and say anything. No, I, I think you're, 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 you're going, you're killing it. Then I will continue. Um, <clears throat> so I have actually six philosophical supports for annihilationism here. So the first one is that eternal doesn't always mean lasting forever in the scriptures, as most of us believe. Uh, so Genesis 49.26 talks about eternal hills. Habakkuk 3.6 talks about eternal mountains. So these are clearly not talking about mountains that last forever. They're talking about the greatness of the mountains. Also, Exodus 12.24-25 through 25 says that we shall celebrate Passover eternally. Um, most of us Christians do not celebrate Passover Although the matzo balls I hear are to die for, mm. but yeah, it's, it's that's, that's the best. Is that joke another hell joke? <laughs> Is that the best joke you can come up with, bro? I'm sorry, I'm working on the spot here, but uh, <clears throat> yeah. So clearly, Passover is not eternal. Also, First Kings eight six through thirteen talks about how God will dwell in the temple eternally. Similarly, in the New Testament. Many times the word eternal doesn't just refer to lasting forever. And there's four good examples here. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 talks about God's eternal judgment. But in these verses, it uses the word eternal to refer to events happening after the end of the world. So basically, eternal here is just the state of time that these events are happening in. And I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. It says, Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So in this context, he's talking about the judgment that takes place at the, end, at the culmination of, of time. <clears throat> Next, Hebrews 9, 11-12 speaks about eternal redemption in which Jesus isn't actively redeeming us eternally. It's just that the effects of his redemption are felt eternally. 2 Thessalonians mentions eternal destruction and an annihilationist would say that something cannot be destroyed continually forever. The effects of the destruction are eternal. The soul is destroyed and will never live again eternally. And then Mark three twenty eight through 29 talks about an eternal sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Of course, the writer isn't saying that the sin itself is happening eternally. You're not eternally blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Rather, the effect of the sin is eternal. <clears throat> so those are different places in the Bible where eternal doesn't just mean lasting forever. It could mean other things. The second philosophical point that I have is that annihilationists would say that when it comes to the apocalyptic language used to describe the lake of fire and final judgment, it's not necessary to press it for literal boundaries of what's literally going to happen. So Hebrews 2.14 says that Jesus has destroyed the devil, which is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 28, where Ezekiel prophesies about how Satan shall come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Revelation 20, which discusses the throwing of Satan 
the beast, death, and Hades into in, and sinners into the lake of fire to be destroyed, destroyed forever and ever and have no rest day and night, which is obviously, uh, like Nick mentioned, it's kind of a slam dunk for ECT. That could likely be a symbolic representation of a fundamental truth that the enemies of God will receive the full recompense for their crimes and will be eternally defeated and that Satan will be no more forever, as is described in Ezekiel 28 and Hebrews 2. The third point is that Calvinists will across the board agree that mankind is born already damned to hell because of original sin. And that is the T in the um, all-important tulip. It's important to note that when Adam and Eve were warned of eating the fruit in the garden, they were told that they would surely die, not that they would surely live forever and be tormented. So they would say that this shows that death is the destiny for the wicked. The fourth philosophical point I wanted to make is that you can't find a passage in the Bible that teaches that all mankind intrinsically have immortal souls according to annihilationists. They would claim that an immortal soul and everlasting life are only gifts for those who accept Christ. And that's why we always see that as a reward for salvation, we get everlasting life. Whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. So they would say that only the believers have everlasting life. Those who don't believe are destined to be their souls are destined to be annihilated because they don't have the promise of eternal life. The fifth one is that the atonement for sin has always been via termination of a life. Whether it was the sacrifice of an animal or Jesus on the cross or a soul which dies and is terminated for its sins. And then the last philosophical point I was going to make that supports annihilationism is that the Bible talks about how the new heavens and new earth that takes place at the culmination of the world will have no more suffering or death. And that's in Isaiah 65, 17 and Revelation 21, 4. So the argument here is that God is going to completely terminate evil and evildoers by wiping them out of existence, that he won't cause them to stay alive in suffering in the new heavens and new earth times because there will be no more wickedness. There will be no more evil in the new heavens and new earth. It it will be completely wiped out. So that's it. That is the biblical and philosophical support for annihilationism. I know it was kind of heavy. And uh, Alex, if you don't have anything on that, I can go ahead and jump into the objections to annihilationism. No, um... I'm still processing. It's just, it's, it's a deep topic. And, you know, when you start to lay things out and, and as I hope and encourage in this series, you know, I, I mean, I coming into tonight would have easily been ECT, you know, all the way, not to say that I'm changing, but annihilationism has a lot of things to look at and it forces you to examine scripture objectively. And, you know, what is the overall narrative of God trying to tell us? And it's, it's definitely a lot to, uh, 
to to pick up and i hope the listeners on this episode feel that same way yeah for sure um whenever you uh you sent us that list of of topics you were going to go through and we chose hell we chose it because we were all very interested in it we've never really studied it and we wanted to take the time to study it just for personal growth and Mm -hmm. i'll be honest nick and nick and i were talking about it before we started researching and i was i was i was ect 100 percent until i started researching it because i know i'm not i'm not supposed to take sides on our episodes but (laughs) this is uh this research has been having me leaning towards annihilationism because you can't some of these some of these arguments are really good arguments uh, i'm yeah. being honest so <clears throat> it's definitely not something you should just dismiss without really looking at what they're saying exactly yep and i also want to make this point too i heard somebody a while back say that you can't and, and this was just in an offbeat conversation that you can't hold to a night annihilation because it's a false holding of scripture and then therefore you'd be you know clinging to you know false teaching or you know borderline heresy type and i was like uh okay and i mean and i was really vanilla in my you know understanding of end times death and all that and and i'll tell you the amount of time i put into reading about death that topic is helping me understand this so far immensely and um the the book that i referenced um i will have it in the show notes for uh friday's episode i forget the title of it but um the the author goes through all of that stuff just you know unpacks it really really well for the things that i needed there's some stuff there that uh, topic wise i didn't care about because he was a little bit more on the progressive liberal side but the biblical context he really did a fantastic job at showcasing death and what happens to us and and so a lot of these arguments now are starting to really say you know if if annihilationism is real that puts so much weight on the christian life yeah let's get to some objections what do we got let's do it okay so ect folks would argue that although yes sometimes eternal means something besides lasting forever in the bible that nothing in the specific text about hell make it clear that they're speaking about anything else besides lasting forever. So in the other ones, it's it's pretty clear when he's talking about eternal mountains, eternal hills. Those are clearly not something that lasts forever. But when it comes to the t- the text about hell, it's not so clear. It could very easily mean lasting forever. Uh, another objection that uh, ECT supporters would say is that John 5, 28 through 29 and Daniel 12, 2 through 3 that speak about a resurrection after death for both the damned and the saved points to all mankind having an everlasting and immortal soul. So they say that that resurrection involves both those who, those who are saved by Jesus and those who are not. And so they both have everlasting immortal souls because they're both resurrected at that point. Another objection is that similar to annihilationists saying that ECT supporters take the term eternal fire too far 
in saying that people will be tormented forever. Universalists actually say that annihilationists go too far in the term death. They would say that the death of Sodom and Gomorrah described in Matthew doesn't mean complete termination because we already know that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah will be brought back to life at judgment day and they weren't they weren't completely wiped out of existence. Also, universalist supporters say that the termination of people's families and friends will not reflect a reality of no more crying and no more pain in the new heavens and new earth unless God erases the memory of the people who went through the loss, which isn't explicitly expressed in Scripture. Hmm. So you got objections from both the ECT and the Universalist camp for these folks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, since Ryan communicated his bias, I guess I'll communicate mine. I mean, my <laughs> my greatest issue with annihilationism is I guess a philosophical one. I think they I think they do have uh, a decent argument that I'm going to study further, but in response to the Christian walk, I feel like what does it mean? Why should we even attempt to obey God? Or why should we even attempt to be more like Jesus and be image bearers of him if we can just have as much fun as we want here on earth and eventually get annihilated and it was all worth it because we're not even here to experiment, uh, experience a torment anyway. And I guess uh, annihilationists would say that the, uh, um, the torment that we receive in Hades would be so uh, you know, terrible that we would regret everything. But again, if you're one day going to get annihilated anyway, I mean, hey, have as much fun here as possible. I mean, that I guess it's a philosophical argument, and I'm not going to say that's the end-all, be-all argument, but that's, that's something that I'm getting, uh, I'm having a tough time getting through because I think we should be image bearers of Christ um, because we love God and because we want to obey Him and because we want to please Him, not because it saves us, because it, but we know that bearing fruit is the evidence of having a relationship with God because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. So uh, that's that's my pullback with annihilationism. What's the point? I do want to jump in and because uh, I don't think I might have explained this properly. Um, annihilationists don't believe that when you die, you get annihilated if you're a non-believer, and that's it. No, they go to Hades dead. first. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. I described that correctly. Yeah, so they do get punished... And actually, a lot of annihilationists say that it's to the degree that you sinned on Earth, so you'll be punished for longer depending on the degree of the sin you committed on Earth. And then when your punishment is over, you'll be annihilated. Um, so I just wanted to clear that up. I, I think I might have made it seem as if you die and then you're just out of existence forever. Yeah. That's, not, that's not what they believe. And I guess the argument for annihilationists would be, you know, there's no biblical evidence to say that people continue to sin as they're in torment. Um, but I think it could be a philosophical argument that people continue to sin while they're in torment, cursing the God who allowed them to be there. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's not something that we can just turn a blind eye to. I think when people go through pain, we tend to curse and say things that we don't want to say. Um, even I know Christians who won't curse at all until they get hurt and all of a sudden they're sinning. You know what I mean? So I think while people are in physical pain, if that's what you believe eternal hell is like with pain, I think during the experience they're definitely cursing God. And I don't think the sin ever stops. 
Uh, but get, but again, I think that's just my personal belief, and that's not the end all be all argument. I think annihilationism definitely does have uh, good arguments that people should look into. That's it. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're all ready, Mark. Are you ready to jump into universalism? I am ready. Alex, are you ready for Mark to jump into universalism? Let's do it. All right. So, last view is universalism, if we haven't already said it enough. (laughs) So, uh, Mark Driscoll used an analogy in the movie Hellbound, which is a documentary about universalism you can check out, Hellbound, that there are state borders and national borders. You can work with people that are in different states but can't go outside the national borders. He and many other traditionalists consider universalism outside of the national borders. Universalists say that they are Bible-believing Christians just like everyone else and don't want to be dismissed as heretics. And this is an important point because we shouldn't just be calling people who we disagree with as dishonest or heretics, right? We want to be taking the time to take them seriously in their viewpoints. So universalists do believe in hell. They just don't believe that that's the end of the story. They believe that there will be judgment, but that things don't end with judgment. So a definition we can look at is that Christian universalism is the view that in the end, God will reconcile all people to himself through Christ. So let's look at some biblical support. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Uh, Romans 11.32, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Hey, Mark, I don't want to cut you off, but I just kind of wanted to give the background of why he's giving these Bible verses. It's because universalists would say that all these verses that talk about God having mercy on all men or Jesus coming to save all men, they would say that that points to universalism. That points to Jesus in the end saving everybody. So that's why he's giving all these verses about all and every man and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you think I should read all of them or just do a few more? I think they're all pretty short. Okay. Uh, so First uh, Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then Philippians 2, 10 to 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the emphasis being put on every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Okay, so let's look at the philosophical support. Well, it's it. Uh, we should also say that there are several more verses. Yes. Um for time's sake, we're not going to read every single one of them, but we're not just going to dismiss the universalists and say there's no biblical evidence. There are many other verses, um, what, like seven more, but for time's sake, we're going to go through the philosophical. Okay, so the first one, um, this is this might be new to some people. Universalism, universalism is not a brand new liberal idea. Uh, many early theologians held to this view. Some of the biggest ones were Origen, Eusebius, and even St. Augustine in the beginning of his ministry. 
This point is made to show that it is a viable option that leaders in the faith have held for centuries. Also, universalists say that most Christians are universalists about creation, meaning that God created everyone, and also sin, meaning that all of creation fell short, but not of redemption, meaning all creation is redeemed through Christ. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Does grace not abound more than sin? Did Christ's death not fully do the trick? As Adam represented the whole race in sin, Jesus represents the whole race in salvation. Another thing is universalists say that God is love. The very definition of love is that love wants what's best for people. The best for those who have died and gone to hell would be for God to reconcile them to himself and allow and allow them to join him in his presence. Universalists also say that judgment in the Bible is not only retributive in nature, but also restorative. That God's desire is not just to repay the evil that has been done with judgment, but to restore things back to himself. Throughout the Old Testament, in the prophets section, God always causes Israel to suffer for their sins, but always promises to restore them afterwards. Universalists will say that this pattern is the same as after people die. They will be repaid in punishment for their actions, but then will be restored in salvation. A fundamental question is if people will have a chance to make a decision after physical death. Universalists believe that the Bible isn't totally clear on this. Universalists say that it doesn't make sense for God to stop caring for sinners after death and not desire their salvation. They also don't see why death could somehow permanently set someone's eternal state forever. That's it. Yep, that Mm -hmm. is the main views, and we're just going to be looking at a few uh, objections to universalism. So the first one is that a lot of these verses that uh, Christian universalists use uh, seem to be cherry-picked, or they're used out of context in order to prove the claim, and don't use the entirety of the portion of Scripture. Mm. So it seems like they just take uh, disparate verses from all across Scripture, and they're not really tying it together Mm -hmm. in context. Another thing is that Universalists elevate God's love all um, over all his other attributes by saying things like God's love must be an all-encompassing love that loves even the sinners in hell. They don't extend, sorry, they don't extend the same standard for his other attributes, though. They wouldn't say that his justice is so just that he extends it into heaven to those who have been saved. That's a legit point. Yeah. Universalists say that the judgment with a promised restoration is the same as the New Testament promise of hellfire, which is eventually led, which will eventually lead to a universal salvation. But when it comes to Old Testament restoration of Israel, only a remnant was dist- was restored. Certainly not all of Israel was restored. It's definitely a good point. Yeah. It's a lot of good, I think. Yeah. I'll be honest, there is a lot of good objections. These objections universal. are definitely mm-hmm. the best objections out of yeah. all three. <laughs> Uh, okay, another one is that people that support salvation as a free will choice and something that isn't predetermined by God say that universalists are removing people's choice to receive or reject God and are therefore removing the human attribute of free will. And uh, I actually have, since we all shared something, <laughs> I'll share my uh, objection to universalism that uh, immediately came to me when I was studying this. 
is that universalism seems to um, kind of null the entire New Testament. It it doesn't make any sense of the gospel, is that if everyone gets saved and everyone goes to hell, then there's no reason for the gospel to exist, and there's no urgency to share the message of the gospel, because everyone will just ultimately be saved. And then you have, you know, John the Baptist, starting with, you know, preaching that everyone needs to repent, and then you have Jesus who followed him, also preaching that everyone needs to repent. But if everyone goes to hell, then what... What is this message of repentance? Why why do we need to repent if we all just share the same fate? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it just keeps going. You have the book of Acts where the apostles are going out and sharing the gospel, risking their lives and getting martyred for this belief. Um, you know, it just doesn't make much sense of why these people would do these things. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think that universalists do make decent they do have decent biblical support and people who are against universalism do have to have an answer ready for these verses that say that all shall confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus will draw all men to himself, that God for that God so loved the world and all this stuff. I think that we should be ready with an answer for that because they do use the Bible in such a way that it does support universalism. Um, but I would honestly have to agree with the other guys that this might be i think that this view on hell is a bit lacking i think that uh it leaves a lot of stuff unexplained if that is the actual case it's safe to say though if we had a choice in what we would want to believe i would definitely want to believe in universe yeah Yeah. that would be amazing (laughs) you know i would definitely want to so i get their heart and I get them wanting to believe this, but what does the Bible say? Right. right. It right. feels like wishful thinking. Yeah. Well, anyway, that was the three views on hell. You, you want to give us a round of applause? Yay. <laughs> Clapping. <laughs> <laughs> you guys killed it. Uh, seriously, it's, you know, um, when I, like I said at the beginning of this whole series, my premise is to bring forward the material that we're going to be covering in a non-biased manner and present it in a non-biased manner while, you know, I can say, or my guests can say what they believe or what they've leaned to, or have maybe shifted a little bit or challenged it. And I, and I think that's fine. And you guys absolutely um, just came in like a wrecking ball on this episode because because (laughs) there's just shout out to Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus, (laughs) Miley Cyrus. (laughs) Which is that going to be the outro song for your? House. Is that going to be the outro song for your episode now? Um, if I could get rights to it, I, I would, would do it. Thirty seconds, bro. That's all you need. I'm not, that I'm can, not paying, you can't get I'm sued. Not paying rights for that. Thirty <laughs> seconds. I'm serious. That's what we do. Thirty seconds. You can't get sued. <laughs> uh, I, I get the people like my violin, so I'll leave it at that. Give the people what they want. Yes, my yeah. listeners. Hashtag Miley Cyrus. Yeah, right. If if you hashtag get, Miley Cyrus. Hashtag uh, Podfather. Podfather. I actually looked that up. That is a. It is an actual hashtag. Nice. And it's got over a thousand uh, Instagram posts on it. Nice. So if you guys can make a uh, an image of all three of you in like the the black and white attire, Godfather, that will be my Instagram post to announce the show. It's gonna happen. I can make that happen. I will do it. Are you so. going to filter it in? <laughs> yeah. 
Photoshop. Absolutely. Sick. So, ladies and gentlemen, this was your episode on death. And Hell. these fine gentlemen <laughs> have laid it out for you. I mean, not death. Hell. Hell. <laughs> yes. Which is essentially death. But Which is essentially death. <laughs> or is it's it? It's late. I have not felt good all week, and I am on half a brain cell, so forgive me on that one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your episode on hell. Hey, you. Brought to you by the Bible Dingers. If you don't listen to them, you are truly missing out. They have done some fantastic episodes with great content. Follow them on Instagram. Give them your money. <laughs> willing, willing, you know, willing. Bye. bye. By by praying, of course, you know I don't want to ag on anybody, but do it. It's seriously worth it. Um, they are putting a ton of time and ton of work into all their episodes. You guys can witness what they brought to the table tonight for this show. Um, it, it was much more than I could have expected from any guest. Um, actually, honest to honest truth, every single guest that I've had on this show and since I have taken this solo have blown me away each have brought their own you know awesomeness and you guys just completely did that tonight you guys just are amazing and you guys are a lot of fun to record with and i have a blast chatting with you guys throughout the day um you guys are challenging and you know you make me push myself harder to be better than you so that's what i have to do keep pushing though. <laughs> no honestly um first off i just want to say thank you for embracing us and honestly just interacting with you on instagram all the time and and seeing how much work that you put into your ministry makes us better it really pushes us to do more because we see you do more you know commentary on romans and posting how many times six or seven posts a day it really uh, it it really intrigues me and, and and motivates me to 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 do ministry better and to reach people better because what this this is all about is reaching more people about the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. It's not about getting numbers, even though we ho- all hope to get numbers and all that stuff. What it is about is reaching the lost and reaching more people and educating more people about God and God's inerrant word. So thank you for making us better and thank you for allowing us on the show. Man, fellas, wow. the bromance is real up in here. Yeah, yeah. I can I can sense it. My sti- it's getting it's hot in here. here. My heart is being <laughs> and annihilated. Chicago, and I feel it. <laughs> Bro, let me tell you something. My love for you is eternal. And uh, it's conscious. Uh, and it's not torment. It torments me <laughs> night and day. <laughs> no, your Instagram page is the best. But, no, your Instagram page. No, 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 no. My heart is annihilated for you, baby. <laughs> My universal love. It's bigger yeah. than the universe. That's, yeah. That's no, no bounds. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note ladies and gentlemen i am going to say goodbye to these fine gentlemen and i might order me a nice chicago pizza the real pizza the oh. only pizza oh. listen listen if you guys want real distance. pizza you got to visit brooklyn that's why oh. nobody goes to brooklyn well i go to brooklyn thank you very much <laughs> if you can't hear my voice that's where i'm from and real pizza is only from brooklyn how you doing uh, 
you know what we you know what i'm gonna seriously get a pizza tomorrow night we should put pictures up on instagram and see and get people to vote who's got the better looking pizza i got you matter of fact this sunday i only get pizza in brooklyn on sunday that's where i go to church i'm sending you guys a picture no don't do that don't do that what bro your lnb brooklyn pizza is not real pizza bro it's incredible it's good no hold on alex hold on his his L and B pizza is delicious. I will give that mm-hmm. to him, but it's not a good representation of Brooklyn oh. pizza because it's very unique to L and B. It's not just your standard Brooklyn pizza. Excuse me, I don't know what you're saying, and I don't care because that's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love have you. Have your way, man. I love you. Have your way with your square pizza. But it's with it's a Sicilian slice, so it's not it's not unique. Uh, it's not round. It's not unique, but it's a Sicilian mm. slice done right and done the only way it should ever be done because there's no other place that makes a Sicilian slice in this way. And on top of that, they invented Spumoni ice cream. Have you ever had Spumoni, Alex? It sounds familiar, but I don't know if I've had it. They invented it, and uh, hopefully you come and visit us one day in this area, and we'll take you. They invented ice cream. Anyone they to invent an a, uh, an innovative way for pizza and ice cream? I mean, it's the only place you ever need to go for the rest of your life. I, I'll I'll make a deal. If I come out that way, I will stop by and get a and get a pizza and ice cream with you guys. I will. You got. I, I will put my Chicago pizza loving aside for a moment. Step down a block and get uh, get some pizza with you guys. You got it. You're so I can't humble. wait. So, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you follow these guys. They are fantastic. They are hilarious, and they are intelligent and hardworking. They love to exegete scripture talk to you about what the Bible is really talking to you about, and they do it from a non-biased position. So go check them out, Bible Dingers. They have a Instagram page. Uh, you're on Twitter. Yes. And you're on, you've got a patron page, so go, everybody give them a dollar or two or 10 or 20 a month. Uh, whatever 50. you prayerfully consider, 50 a month. Yeah. Sow a seed of a thousand. Um, yes. Sow a seed of a so, thousand and get this prayer rag. Hey, yo. Hey, the prayer rag's my bit. You guys can get like a a prayer. We'll like give you a, a prayer sock. Or a prayer sock. Prayer, prayer, prayer pizza. One, uh, <laughs> worn, <laughs> yeah, worn by all of us. Uh, the same at the same sock. time. At the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant sock. It's a giant sock. All right, guys. Next week, we will be discussing um, dispensational premillennialism. So don't miss that episode out. We finally get to the four views in eschatology. So stay tuned. The heat is coming. Not literally. Peace out, God God bless. bless.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.